Welcome to today's episode, which will likely deal with some dark topics and sometimes sweary words, so listener discretion is always advised. For ad-free and bonus episodes, click in the link in the show notes for exclusive content. You can support the show at buymeacoffee.com or by giving me a rate, writing a review, or subscribing to future episodes. And with all my marketing blah 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 out of the way, on with the show. A Million Other Choices is a true crime podcast, and as such, we do discuss some dark topics that might be triggering for some. As you are a true crime listener, I support you in your curiosity. However, having lost a family member to homicide, my message is always to remember not just the victims, but the families and friends left behind, and also the officers, detectives, and prosecutors that work tirelessly for justice. There are links to make monetary donations in the show notes, but more importantly, if you enjoy the podcast, please tell your friends and press that fifth star on your listening platform to help me grow the show. I hope you enjoy the following episode. Hello, and welcome to A Million Other Choices. Once again, I am your host, Kim. A very merriest of the holiday season to you, no matter how you celebrate or don't celebrate. I was going to take a podcast break over the holidays for a couple weeks, but I decided that I have a story to tell, so I might as well just kind of keep chugging them out while they're all in my head. Now, if you are interested... My sister Joanne was on um, a podcast called Stomp the Stigma with Alana on December 9th. And then I have been on this past week just discussing our, our grief journeys. So you can listen to that if you want to. So today I have a case for you that was difficult to tell in full because there is a partial publication ban that made the media have to be kind of vague about it. But the court documents provide a much fuller picture of the story. So I've decided as a balance between telling the full story and protecting privacy, I'm just going to change most of the names. However, I can assure you that the details in this case are factual and that these events actually did happen to a family living here in Calgary in 2013 in the neighborhood of Evanston. In 2013, the Lenzano family, who consisted of Dad, Ernest, Mum, Corrine, 15-year-old Flora, 11-year-old Gabby, and 5-year-old son, Robbie, were living in the neighborhood, the Calgary neighborhood of Evanston. Ernest and Corrine had immigrated from the Philippines a number of years before, and were hardworking and had been saving money to sponsor some other family members to also come join them here in Canada. The process of emigrating from the Philippines is very expensive, so in many cases, a single family member will come over and then send money back home to bring other members of their family as the fastest option. Since the 1970s, overpopulation and economic and political issues in the Philippines increased greatly the immigration from the Philippines to major cities in Canada, particularly Toronto, Vancouver, Calgary, and Edmonton. 
The education system in the Philippines means that the majority of new citizens are well-educated and proficient in English. By 1992, the Philippines was the second most important country of origin for Canada and has stayed that way until current day. The family reunification program enables many families to bring over their children and parents with them. There's also a live-in caregiver program and... Filipinos have consistently ranked first in the independent immigrants category, a group selected on the basis of skills and the ability to contribute quickly to Canadian society and the, econ and the economy. The Lanzanos had also been able to bring Ernest's parents over and they were living with them. In 2008, Ernest sponsored his 22-year-old cousin Wilson Clorina to come to Canada under the Live-In Caretaker Program. He came to live with the Lanzano family in their home to take care of their children so that Ernest and Corrine could work full-time, saving money on daycare costs, which anyone with kids knows, especially here in Alberta, is really expensive, especially if you have more than one child, in which case one parent is almost forced to stay at home due to how much money you would have to make to even break even. At that time, Flora was 10, Gabby was 8, and Robbie was just an infant. Wilson and Ernest were close, and Wilson was named as Robbie's godfather. Ernest and Corrine had a full household, with them, three kids, Wilson and Ernest's parents, Francis and Clement, all living under one roof. In late 2011, Wilson was able to secure his citizenship and had gotten a job outside of the Lanzano home and moved out, but moved just down the block and in with Ernest's sister, Emma, and her husband, Jay de Guzman who lived nearby. So the household was always busy and noisy and full of laughter and celebrations. Corrine was described as the rope that held the family together, and Robbie's smile could always be counted on to wash away even the longest and hardest days Ernest had. Around lunchtime on Thursday, May 13, 2013, Ernest's father, Clement, swings by the house and sees that the garage door is up, which he notes is a little odd because there's no cars parked in it. As he walks into the garage and towards the door that leads to the kitchen, his heart starts to beat fast. There is blood on the floor in front of the door and on the doorknob. With his heart beating in his chest, he opens the door and sees more blood in the kitchen. Then he spots Corrine. She's laying in the middle of the kitchen, face down, surrounded by bloody puddles. He reaches for her wrist to feel for a pulse and doesn't find one. He then remembers that Robbie would be home, and races up the stairs towards the bedrooms, noting on the way that the carpet on the stairs was also covered in bloodstains. Robbie was laying at the foot of his parents' bed. There were four distinct stab wounds showing through his yellow tank top, and beneath him were pools of blood. Grief-stricken, panicked, and distraught, he is unable to find a phone and runs next door to the neighbors who call 911. Jay and Emma arrive, and the neighbor directs them to stay outside. When Ernest arrives, they weren't able to restrain him, and he ran inside to discover the grisly scene of his wife and young son dead. When the police arrive, Ernest tells him that his wife's car, a 2005 Acura, is missing from the garage and the house appears to have undergone a bit of a tossing, with some furniture overturned, but nothing appeared to be missing other than the car. 
When questioned, Jay tells police that he sent Clement over to the house to check on things because he had received a number of texts and a phone call from Wilson, Ernest's cousin. His first text read, I can't handle this anymore. Wilson then called Jay and he mentioned that he was in Ernest and Corrine's house, which Jay found a little odd because he should have been at work at the electronics store. He sounded scared and was asking Jay to help him. His last words before hanging up were, someone got stabbed. Police were able to track down the stolen Acura with Wilson in it near the town of Olds, about 95 kilometers outside of Calgary. He had gotten himself stuck in a ditch and appeared to be under the influence of something. His hands had sustained some injuries and he was taken to the hospital to be treated and then arrested and detained for questioning. The Calgary Police Service has charged a man in connection with the death of two people in northwest Calgary. At approximately 12.50 p.m. on Thursday, May 16, 2013, officers were called to the 200 block of Evans Park Circle Northwest, where they discovered an adult female and a young child deceased at the scene. Police circulated details of a vehicle believed to be associated to the residents to nearby policing agencies. The vehicle was subsequently located by the RCMP near Olds, and with the assistance of Hawk's helicopter, a suspect was taken into custody. So he did suffer uh, several pre-arrest injuries. He was transported to the Foothills Hospital for treatment of those injuries, and then released. The suspect is believed to be related to the deceased, but he is not an immediate family member and did not reside at the same residence. Guevara Wilson Clorina, 26 from Calgary, has been charged with two counts of second degree murder. It is domestic related because the suspect is related to the family, although he is not an immediate family member. We had information that there was a vehicle missing from the residence, and we also had information that the suspect was north of Calgary. We uh, provided the RCMP with a bulletin and up-to-date information. Based on their knowledge of the area, the RCMP responded and they located the suspect and the vehicle in a ditch alongside a road between Olds and Didsbury. The, Hawk, how, the Hawks helicopter responded and with their assistance, the suspect was taken into custody uh, without incident. He was transported to the Foothills Hospital to be assessed uh, for a pre-arrest injury and then he was released from the Foothills Hospital and transported to the West Winds building. Wilson told the officers that he had arrived at the house to find a man attacking Corrine and Robbie and was trying to fend him off and called Jay for help. However, the blood evidence left at the scene and in the stolen Acura led directly back to Wilson and only Wilson. A search warrant was executed on the room he occupied in Guzman's house, and what they found on a series of videotapes told the story of a man with a secret and provided a clue as to a motive why he had killed his cousin's wife and his own godson. Wilson had come to Canada on a caregiver's visa when he was 22. He came to live with Ernest and his family and was taking care of their three kids. What Ernest and Corrine, and everyone else for that matter, didn't know was that, well, there were a couple of things that they didn't know. 
One, that Wilson liked to partake of methamphetamines for recreational purposes. And if you listen to my family's story about Dustin, you know my feelings about that particular drug. And number two, shortly after he arrived in Canada, he took a liking to 11-year-old Flora, Ernest and Corrine's daughter. And he started sexually abusing her when she was 11, which continued until May of 2013. And he had actually manipulated Flora and told her to keep the fact that he was abusing her a secret. But he would often videotape the times that he would sexually abuse her. And in May of 2013, Flora, who at that time was 15, was six months pregnant. And she had actually been fooled into believing that Wilson and her were actually in love. And they just together had discussed their plans to be together after the baby was born. No one in her family nor any of her school friends knew that Flora was pregnant or that she had been being sexually abused by Wilson. So pressure on Wilson is starting to mount. He owed money to his drug dealer. And then the family, his own family that had entrusted him and supported him, he had impregnated their underage daughter when he was 26 like he had been fed and clothed by the Lozanos and he had repaid them by impregnating and sexually abusing their eldest daughter. And of course, Wilson is growing concerned that Corrine is soon to find out his secrets. Wilson came to the house in Evanston at around 10 a.m. on the morning of May 16th and let himself in with a key that he had gotten from Flora. Now, there is no evidence that Flora had any idea what Wilson's plans were. He found Corrine in the kitchen washing up. Little five-year-old Robbie was watching cartoons in the living room. Without any confrontation from Corrine, who trusted Wilson and didn't even question why or how he had gotten in, he stabbed her viciously in the back several times, leaving her to die on the kitchen floor. Robbie who had seen his mother being attacked and watched as his former babysitter stabbed her repeatedly, made a run for it up the stairs. Wilson grabbed him at the top of the stairs. We can only imagine the terror the poor little peanut was feeling. He managed to struggle his way free and made it to his parents' bedroom, where he tried ineffectually to ward off Wilson with a wooden back scratcher. Wilson pinned him down, cutting him on the arm, chest, and shoulder area before ultimately stabbing him four times in the back. He then strew a few things about to make it look like there had been a struggle and called his drug dealer, to whom he owed money, and asked him to come to the house, hoping he would be there when the police or Jay arrived, pinning him to the crime. Ernest's father, Clement, beat him to the house to discover the grisly scene he had left in his wake. Wilson Clarina was charged with one count of first-degree murder and one count of second, as well as sexual touching of a minor. There is no information on Flora whether she went on to keep the baby and if she's struggling with the unknowing role she played in what led to the murder of her mom and brother. 
I do hope that she has received intensive and very good counseling to heal from the sexual abuse and grief and loss and feelings of guilt she has had to endure. A a jury trial was scheduled to start on April 7, 2015 for the murders of Robbie and Corrine to be followed by a November trial for the sexual contact charge. But like Dustin, he decided to plead guilty at the zero hour. That's what we're waiting for, that we're not going to go through the trial because we don't want our family to go through everything again. What was she like as a mom? Good mom. Best. <laughs> yeah. I always remember every morning she wake up, she big smile on his face, so he's a good son. Justice Christine Edsvik was to reside. Carla McPhail was the Crown Prosecutor, and Kim Ross was his taxpayer-funded defense lawyer, who described this case as one of the most difficult of his career. Although murder charges come with certain automatic sentences, there are a number of factors for parole eligibility that a justice has to take into consideration, and with the new allowance of consecutive sentences in 2011, she had to consider that Section 745.51 indicates that when an offender has been convicted of more than one murder, then the judge may decide that the period without eligibility for parole for each murder conviction can be served consecutively. The factors to determine this are the character of the offender, the nature of the offense, and the circumstances surrounding its commission. Bailey. Bailey, Bailey. Okay, Bailey, say hello, and then go lay down. No? Okay. So let's look at Justice Edsvig's considerations. As to his character... While his education past grade 12 was funded by the Lozano family, he repeated sexually abusing a minor entrusted to his care. He was a user of drugs. The only endearing qualities was that he was young with no prior convictions and showed remorse. The nature of the offenses were considered terribly violent. He tried to pin it on someone else like a coward. And again, he had continued his sexual contact with a minor. As to the nature of the crime, Justice Edsvik said, quote, Bailey. The attack on his five-year-old godson was deliberate and done to get rid of him as a witness. It was callous and selfish. The murder was also very violent and would have been terrifying beyond imagination for little Robbie before he was killed, end quote. The circumstances surrounding the commission of the crime... Well, he was put in a position of trust by his family. He left the bodies and called Jay knowing that they would be found by loved ones in that position. The only mitigating factors the judge could think of was that he had spared the family the pain of a lengthy trial by pleading guilty. In Justice Edsvik's words, The family sponsored Mr. Clarina into Canada to allow him a brighter future helped him and his family back in the Philippines financially with everything he needed, took him under their roof, and this is how he repaid them. Nothing in life prepares us for the traumatic experience of violent crime. Coping with the deaths is one of the most painful and unfair challenges you could possibly face, unmatched in its emptiness and profound sadness. The ordinary course of grieving and mourning do not apply to this type of loss. The anger and shock you have experienced is unfortunately a special kind. 
From what I have heard, you are a considerably close family and generous family. The loss of two of its members will never be forgotten. Your family was described as being like a broken mirror that can never be put back together. Mr. Clarino will be sentenced to the harshest penalty we have in Canada, a life sentence. We no longer have the death penalty in Canada. Even if Mr. Clarina gets parole in the far future, it would be on many conditions. He will never be free of supervision with a life sentence. And his chances of getting any parole, whenever he is allowed to apply, are statistically slim. And now, according to Justice Clark Campbell, as he discussed in R versus Vuzo, of all the applications made for parole, fewer than 30% of inmates are ever granted full parole. The more serious the crime, the worse the character of the accused, the less likelihood there is of a person ever getting parole. It is a gross misconception to think that people automatically get out of jail once they have served 25 years of their life sentence. Parole for someone committing multiple murders is rare. Being eligible for parole and getting parole are two entirely different things. Take that as you will. I have a feeling a lot of people get out for one reason or another before even serving their life sentence, or at least get day parole. But hopefully hearing that brought some closure for the Lanzano and de Guzman families. As a sentence... Justice Edsvig gave Clarina the harshest sentence in Calgary ever given at this time, and since only beaten by Douglas Garland for three murders. Life imprisonment with parole eligibility for 10 years with respect to the murder of Corrine Lozano. Life imprisonment with parole ineligibility for 25 years consecutive for the murder of Robbie Lozano. 10 years imprisonment concurrent for the sexual interference with Flora Lozano. So a life sentence with no opportunity to apply for parole for 35 years. In addition, he had to submit a DNA sample. There's a lifetime weapons and firearms ban. He has to be registered as a sex offender for 20 years, which means that he can't be around children or anywhere they are likely to congregate. Uh, And then there's a no contact order with respect to Flora and Gabby Lozano. And that was the horrible murder of Corrine and Robbie Lozano. Now, remember, I changed the names, so if you research on your own, you will notice that. I hope that you all have a great winter solstice, Christmas, Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, etc., etc. I hope that you all have someone special to spend this time with, and I really hope we all have a great and COVID-free 2022. Happy holidays to you, and thank you so much for listening. I'm so